0: Psalm 42 and 43 comprise the first two psalms of the second book uh, in the book of Psalms, second division, if you will. And these particular psalms are psalms of lament. Uh, Lament is an interesting word. It's one of those words that we hear from time to time. um, And I'm guessing for most of us, like for myself, We say the word lament, but we don't really understand what it is. What is lament? I hope to answer that question for you this morning as we look at these two psalms because I think it's part of the Christian life that sometimes we overlook and sometimes it's one of the most needed parts of our journey. The ability to to cry out to God and really complain a little bit, but then ask God for something and trust that he's going to answer. Uh, the lament is very specific in the Psalms. In fact, a great majority of the Psalms, out of the 150, a whole lot of them, uh, are laments. And maybe that's why we turn to the book of Psalms when we're going through difficult times. Uh, because we read what the psalmist writes about his own journey, about his own struggles, and some, to some degree we find some comfort there and uh, a sense of how, how to make sense of what's going on in our life. A lament is really the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. I entitled the message this morning, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, I borrowed that title from a book that I read this week uh, by a man whose last name I cannot pronounce. <laughs> but his first name's Mark, and I got that one. And he wrote this book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, out of a time in his life of great sorrow after losing a child, after already having four children but losing one weeks before delivery. And the deep sorrow that he had in his heart and the deep sorrow his wife had and how they worked through that as he was a, a pastor and, and trying to pastor his church and work through this deep sorrow in his heart and this, this anger and this angst and this frustration and all the questions that would come with that. And then having his heart and his wife's heart broken again when they thought they were pregnant, but the womb was empty once again. So he wrote this book as a result of working through that over a process of years. And if you've ever been in pain or if you've ever been in a struggle, if you've ever been in that dark place where the dark clouds seem to to overcome you, I would encourage you to find this book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, and read it it will help you understand how to lament so in the brief time that I have this morning as we look at these two Psalms which more than likely were one Psalm originally I want us to think about what it is to lament because in our darkest moments we can trust the truth of who God is even when what we feel is telling us something different. In Psalm 42, it begins, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. God, as we read these psalms this morning, God, we sense the anguish and the despair of the psalmist as he asks the question, where is your God? Why have you forsaken me? When When will I hear from you again? God, as we read this, God, I, I can't help but think that many of us here this morning have asked those questions in our own mind. Where are you, God, in this situation? God why are you silent? Why are you not hearing me? God when will you answer my prayer? God help us this morning see how we can how we can lament before you, how our heart can sing this song to you that even though the world around me is crumbling my feet are still on the solid rock god speak to us today we ask this in jesus name amen and amen. amen there is a certain mood that these psalms project. It's, as one author said, a minor key song. It doesn't feel all that good. And I hope we kind of capture that this morning. That the psalmist here, Psalm 42, as, as the title says, is a mascule of the songs of Korah, the sons of Korah, excuse me. Korah was uh, more than likely a Levitical priest who was a music leader. He was in charge of the songs. And this was written together uh, or written with his sons. Psalm 43 doesn't have a title, but it takes a much more uh, personal tone. And many people believe that David was the author of Psalm 43. Psalm 43 is only one of two psalms that doesn't have a title, an inscription before the psalm begins. But what holds these together is this simple refrain that's mentioned three times. Verse 5, verse 11 of chapter 42, and then verse 5 of chapter 43. That says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This morning as we come to this text, I want to point out uh, three uh, ways that we bring our sorrow and our suffering to God in a way that we can trust in Him once again. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, that's where we want to get uh, to in our suffering. We want to get to trusting God for who He is and for what He's done the first thing we want to point out here in these first five verses is that we need to remember what God has done in the past. We need to remember what God has done in the past because we can trust God in all situations. We can trust Him and we can see that we can trust Him because of our past. We can trust Him in our present and we can trust Him for our future. We need to remember what God has done in the past. Here the psalmist says, as a deer pants for flowing stream. This is a picture of a, of a deer who has been running, maybe from a predator, and he, he finally gets a moment of rest, and he's wore out and exhausted, and he's thirsty for something. He's thirsting for water, and he needs water, and in that moment, he is seeking after it, and this is where the psalmist at, is at in his own life. He's been running. He's been attacked by an enemy. He He feels oppressed on every side and his soul is panting for God. Some commentators suggest that maybe in this moment the psalmist is away from the temple. Maybe um, he has been banished in some degree from the temple from worshiping with God's people. So he feels this immense separation from God. He's thirsting to be with God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you... Ever had that thirst before? You know that one where you can't wait to get something to drink? I know for many of you, you probably experienced that thirst in the summer when you're baling hay, right? Anybody experienced that before? I remember when I was a kid. Yes, I did farm work when I was a kid. All right, I'll throw that out there. I remember going with my dad and we were, we were baling hay on the farm in Telecope. And I don't know why my dad decided to buy this square baler and all this kind of stuff. I have no idea. But anyway, we were square baling the hay on the farm. And we didn't have the fancy equipment that some people have today that can be pulled behind the baler and pick up the hay and stack it on the trailer and then stack it in the barn. You don't have to touch it, which is wonderful. And I know my father-in-law appreciates his bail wagon because he doesn't have to touch the hay but I remember following the baler with the wagon behind me, picking up the bales, tossing them on the trailer, right? Or standing on the trailer and stacking the bales of hay in the heat of summer. And you know what looked really good to me? The shade tree with the water hose next to it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is a green, right? Then you know what thirst is. You know what it means to be thirsty. You know what it means to, even though it might not be the most sanitary thing to do, to pick up the water hose and start chugging water from the water hose, right? Because you're thirsty. This is the experience that the psalmist is having as he's been separated from God, from the temple, from worshiping God. He, he feels like he is away from the Lord and he's thirsting after the living God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He says in verse... Three, that my tears have been my food day and night. His grief of having this separation has been his nourishment. Sleepless nights of of crying, this desperation, this, this anguish in his soul to be in God's house. And in that moment his heart begins to speak to him and says, where is your God? And out of his anguish, he begins to remember in verse 4. These things I remember. He remembers what God has done in the past. He remembers and he pours out his soul. He remembers how he would lead the people in procession to the house of God and to worship. He remembers the glad shouts of worship. He remembers the songs of praise. He remembers the multitude of people who kept the festival. He remembers these things and it brings him a glimmer of hope. He's reminded of what God has done in the past. And in that moment, this refrain breaks forth from his lips. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. What God has done in the past resets His focus so that He can hope in God once again. And it leads Him to say, I will praise again, because God is my salvation, because He is my God. So in those times of struggle, in those times of anguish, in those times of thirsting, remember what God has done. Secondly, you need to cry out to God in prayer. Not only do we need to remember what God has done, but we need to cry out to Him in prayer right then and there, in the moment. Verse 6, The second part of verse 6 says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. In verse 6 where he mentions that he's remembering here, the word remember is used a little differently there. <clears throat> and here the word remember really speaks to him praying. He, he has this praying state of remembering God. He continues this anguish and despair that he's feeling because he says that his soul is cast down, but then he begins to pray. And in the midst of his praying, in the midst of his lamenting, his heart once again returns to the Lord. And in verse 8, it says that he remembers his steadfast love. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is within me. He remembers the steadfast love of the Lord that is never ceasing. He remembers the love of God that never fails. And to him, it is like a song in this hard night. One person said that lament is the song you sing, believing that one day God will answer and restore. In verse 9, he introduces a new refrain that's going to be repeated. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He is saying to God in his prayer, why? This is important for us to note, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the message But part of our praying in the midst of sorrow and anguish is telling God how we feel. I I say to God, my rock. He, He recognizes who God is, that God is His rock. But in that moment, He complains a little. Have you ever been to that point where you want to complain a little? He says, God, I know You are my rock, but but it seems that you've forgotten about me. I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me. And they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The same question that that pops up over and over again in the Psalms of Lament is one of this. Where are you, God? Have you ever asked that question before? Where? Where is God in all of this? Where is God? As much as we believe that God is or was worthy of our trust in the past, we must also believe that He can be trusted in the present. He can be trusted in the present. We have to keep on praying. We have to keep on crying out to God because we know that one day He will answer. So verse 11 once again repeats this chorus, if you will, of the song. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is like the chorus of lament through the whys and the wheres, God is still there. So we can hope in Him because we know that He will deliver. The third thing that we see, beginning with Psalm 43, is that we need to ask God with boldness for the future. We need to remember what God has done in the past. We do. We we need to remember how He has worked for His people. We need to cry out to God in our present circumstances. But we also need to ask God with boldness for the future. Notice how this psalm begins. It it doesn't begin like the second verse that began in verse 6 where he says my soul is cast down. This third verse, if you will, starts like this, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. He's asking boldly for God to defend him, to defend him against an ungodly people from the deceitful and the unjust man deliver me this is a man who is asking god to do something in boldness when you think about that he spent his time complaining crying out to god saying why where are you when when will i be with you when when will you hear me Where are you, God? And then as he's reminded of God's goodness in the past, as he knows God is present in his struggle, then he asks with boldness for God to do something. Vindicate me, O God. Deliver me. Verse 2 says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. What David is asking for God to do is to act in accordance with this character. The questions of why are eclipsed with who God is. Now many of you have seen either a solar eclipse, like we saw a couple years ago, right? Or a lunar eclipse. Does the sun go away when it's eclipsed? Does the moon go away when it's eclipsed? No, it's just covered, right? Right? for just a little while. When we trust who God is, it eclipses our sorrow. The sorrow doesn't necessarily go away, but God is so much better, right? It gives us a firm foundation to stand on. The questions of why are eclipsed with who God is, that He is the defender and the deliverer of His people. The way of our the why of our soul struggle may not be answered, but the who of our soul struggle is already settled. So we can ask boldly. We can ask boldly. <clears throat> Verse 2 Even after asking boldly, he then goes on to say, Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? This is the current struggle that he's dealing with that we read about in in Psalm 42. Why? Why am I being oppressed by the enemy? So the struggle is still there, but he's asking boldly. I think that's one thing we need to remember when we're going through struggles. That doesn't mean that we can't ask God to do something boldly. He also asked him, to send out your light in verse 3. To send out your light, to send out your truth. He's asking God to lead him. He's asking God to, to let those things cleanse him so that he can go to his holy hill and to his dwelling place. And that's familiar because last week we looked at that in Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can go to his dwelling place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart who have not sworn deceitfully before another. He's asking God to allow His Word, His truth, to cleanse him, to make him acceptable. Verse 4 begins with the word, Then. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise You, O God, my God. The word, Then, expresses confidence that God will answer His bold request. We need to ask boldly. We need to trust that God is going to work on our behalf in the future. And then He ends Psalm 43 with that same refrain, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That refrain that's repeated three times in these two psalms is really important. Anytime anything is repeated in Scripture, it's important. And here it's repeated verbatim three times. We don't need to overlook it because it sets a pattern that we see in virtually all the psalms of lament. It's the acknowledgement of a problem, why, and the confession of our trust and our hope. Hope in God. Why are you cast down? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. (coughs) In Psalms 42 and 43, the psalmist does his lament to God with very stark language and emotional freedom. He cries out of this deep darkness while at the same time holding tightly onto his God. It is one thing to lament it's one thing to even question God's plans and purposes when you're in a very difficult and painful time and then walk away from the life of faith entirely rather than hold on to the promises of God. It's quite another to do both of those things because God is not offended when his people talk honestly to him, both in pain and in praise. It's okay to question. I think I've said that before. But I'm going to adjust that just a little bit. Because it's just not a question. It's okay to complain about what you feel is going on in your life. Think about this. This happens all the time in the Scripture. Think about the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi invoked blessings upon her daughters-in-law in the name of the Lord. However, she was also quick to express her frustration for her predicament twice in the first chapter of Ruth. She let out her anger at God to her daughter in law, saying, No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Upon arriving at Bethlehem with Ruth, she responded to the townswomen, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? What the psalmist demonstrates here is that anger, rage, and even blame directed at God are valid and necessary experiences in the life of faith. Job accused God of shooting him with poison arrows hiding his face and counting Job as an enemy. He spoke sharply to God for his predicament, but at the same time held on to God tightly, believing that the same God was his Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives. Jeremiah blamed God for his miserable lot as a prophet, but stayed faithful in his service to the Lord and to his people. The psalmist often expressed strong emotion to God for rejecting His own people, but believed that the same God would deliver them. Jesus Himself cried out to the Father from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The truth is that God's grace extends to His people, especially in their moments of suffering and need. He allows them to be able to do both. Both to lament, and to hold on to God at the same time. And really that's what lamenting is. It is praying, complaining, asking, and trusting all at the same time. So how do we do that? How do we lament? Well, i want to show you this and This is not mine. It's from the book that I was reading called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And it's basically a four-step process, if you will. You might want to write this down because it might come in handy for you in days ahead. First of all, you have to turn. You have to turn to God and cry out to Him. Lament invites us to turn our gaze from the rubble of life to the Redeemer of every hurt you have to pray your struggles and pray your questions and and pray your frustrations because praying turns us around to focus on what is true in all we feel and all the questions that we have there comes a point where we must call to mind what we know to be true you've heard this saying before right feelings are fickle Sometimes what we feel doesn't represent the truth. David is crying out to God and he's saying, "Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why? Where are you? Why are the enemy attacking me? Why? Where are you, God?" Now, that's what he's feeling, but has God left him? No. Right? The scripture attests to the fact that for the believer, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. So even though we feel like God is nowhere to be found, we know the truth is that God is right there with us. So we can have hope. Pray these things. Honestly, praying this way recognizes that pain and suffering often create difficult emotions that are not based upon truth, but at the moment feel true nonetheless. So cry out to God in prayer. Secondly, not only should we turn to God, but we should also complain. Caveat, in a godly way. Complain is not a good word for most of us, right? Nobody likes complainers, right? Because we, we associate complaining with whining. And usually complaining is very self-centered, right? Do you know that you can complain in a godly way? Here's why we complain as believers. I want you to understand this. Here's why we complain as believers. When our beliefs of what, of who God is, right in His goodness, does not line up with what we're currently facing. It creates a tension in which we complain because we're trying to reconcile while why we believe God is good, but yet all these bad things keep happening. And that's a good tension because it helps us focus on what is really true. Through godly complaint, we're able to express our disappointment and move toward a resolution. We complain on the basis of our belief in who God is and what He can do. So when you complain biblically, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. It's to help you understand why your belief in God is not matching up what you feel is happening in your life. So we come humbly to God. We pray the Bible. A good place to start is the Psalms especially the Psalms of Lament. and we pray to God, if we don't know what what to say, then we we say prayers like this that we find in Psalm 42 and 43. We be honest with God. You, You have to be honest with Him because let's be honest with ourselves. He knows us. To some regard, He knows us better than we know ourselves. So be honest with him. But this is the most important part. Don't just complain. Don't get stuck complaining. Complaining in a godly way moves us towards resolution. There's a point to it. It's not just being a, what they call them now, Karen's, right? There's a point to it. Because we have to resolve in our own hearts while what we're feeling and experiencing in our life doesn't match up with what we know about God. And that's where the third thing comes in. We need to ask boldly. You saw this in the Psalms that we looked at in Psalm 42 and 43 where David asked boldly in 43.1, Vindicate me, deliver me, send out your light and truth to guide me. Those are bold requests. His complaining in a godly way, by asking these difficult questions out of his own heart and being honest with God, led him to ask boldly. Boldly asking God for help based upon who he is and what he's promised eclipses our complaints. What are some examples of bold requests in the Psalms? I've got nine of them. You ready? Arise, O Lord. When you feel like God's asleep and He's not paying attention, bold request. Wake up, Lord. Arise, O Lord. Or Two, grant us help. When you feel like nothing's going your way and you just can't get the help that you need, ask a bold request. Grant us help. Remember your covenant. God, remember your covenant. How many times in the Old Testament do we hear God's people say, God, remember your covenant. Remember the covenant that you made with Abraham. Remember your people. In other words, they're calling on God to remember His love for them. Bold request number four. Let justice be done. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you've been victimized in some way. When people have not acted justly towards you. And you bring that complaint to God. Why God are are all these people against me? The bold request is let justice be done. Because you are a just God. Don't remember our sins. Restore us. God, don't be silent. God, listen to me. God, teach me. When you don't know exactly which way to go. And it's hard. And you have to make hard decisions. In those moments, the bold request is, God, teach me. Teach me your way. It's what David cries out in Psalm 51, is it not? God, teach me your way. And then, as we read in Psalm 43, vindicate me, deliver me from my enemies. How can we do that? How can we ask boldly, The author of Hebrews puts it this way, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The truth of the matter is we can ask boldly because we have a Savior who is just like us in every way, yet without sin. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. So ask boldly. And then lastly, choose to trust. You've got to choose to trust. Now don't make the mistake of thinking that trust is something you decide once and for all as you're walking through pain. It's not as if you pray one prayer of lament and you never need to lament again. Life is just not that simple. And as the author said, grief is not that tame. Instead, we must enter into lament over and over so that it can keep leading us to trust. Well, what does trust look like, Pastor? Trust looks like talking to God. Trust looks like sharing our complaints. Trust looks like seeking God's help. Trust looks like recommitting ourselves to believe in who God is and what He has done for us, even though the trial might continue. Turn to God in prayer. Complain just a little about what you're feeling and how you need to reconcile that with the truth of who God is. Ask boldly and then trust Even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the sorrow, even in the midst of the questions and the struggles and the frustrations, trust God. Because we can trust His steadfast love. We can rejoice in His salvation. We can sing, for He is good. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. And, my God, where there are dark clouds, there is always deep mercy.